Welcome to the one within all to another episode of Interverse. I'm your host, Chance, and today we have the triumphant return of the terrifically high-vibing Lindsay Sharman of the Rogue Waste podcast, a healer, an author, and of course, many of your favorite podcast hosts out there. Lindsay does a show called Middle Path on Rockfin and of course the aforementioned Rogue Waste. So there's tons of content, two or three episodes a week out there for you guys to catch up on. Really, I think I've been on there three times, if you count Middle Path, since Lindsay came back to my show. So my bad. We are definitely overdue to get Lindsay back on. But I think everyone's going to be just as stoked as I am, considering how much awesome overlap in the Rogue Ways Interverse community there happens to be. So fresh off of a road trip and some nature recharging, I think Lindsay is going to be really on point and in the zone to present to us a conversation about psychopathy, the psychological dynamics of these individuals out there in our midst with <laughs> personalities borderlining on madness to actually intentional energy vampires and crazy killer type people. So Lindsay has kindly provided us a PowerPoint. If you guys want to catch the video version of the episode out there in RSS Feedland, I do recommend it, but I think that the information will translate with or without. And so, okay, before we get this party started uh, and talk about all these things, we have some business to introduce to people, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Lindsay? Oh, yeah. And I am so excited about this business. This business is mostly pleasure, actually. <laughs> and it's very high vibing pleasure, as you mentioned. And I'm so stoked because this, of you know, we have the one day of brightness events and we've been doing them. I've been organizing these every solstice and equinox since uh, December of 2020, uh, when we went into a very low dark point. And so I wanted to specifically counteract this black magic and this darkness that they were specifically timing at that part of the year because the sun's at its lowest point and its lowest place of energy. And we know energetically there's nothing wrong with that. We all need a rest. We all need a pause. You know, we all need our our sort of shadow side to come out. So, But they like to use that time and they like to use that psychology against us uh, and try to make it seem like we're dying or waning or losing the battle or something. And so to counteract this, we had the one day of brightness and the and the you know, goal was to get everyone together and vibing really high and creating this light and love that we can share with each other, really hype ourselves up and really pump ourselves up and get strong and get confident and carry through that that darkness. And we did that and more. We carried ourselves all the way through to the next equinox in the spring. We did the one day of brightness again by popular demand. It's just um, amazing how people come together in these and really reach deeper and farther than I think they usually uh, do, or or really it's farther and deeper than they believe that they can otherwise. And, you know, we can't underestimate the power of coming together and the energy which we lend each other. And you're not giving it away. You're just vibing and sympathetic vibration with each other and amping each other up. And it's just beautiful. And people have experiences that they would have never thought they would have whether they describe those as psychic or paranormal or, you know, psycho-emotional or whatever it might be, there's healing that happens and there's learning that happens and there's experiences that cannot be matched, I think, anywhere else. And they're just, it's always beyond what people expect. It's always beyond what I expect. Uh, so we did it again for summer solstice. And now we get to finish out the whole cycle and do fall. And this will be the fourth, you know, it'll be, it'll be the whole full cycle complete. And I don't meet, think that means we're going to stop doing the one day of brightnesses, but it's definitely momentous for me 
to have people so excited to participate in these and to have been able to do this for a full cycle. So I'm very excited to reap what we have planted and grown with loving care throughout the year and harvest some of this amazing brightness and energy that we've been crafting. We're going to have myself there, of course, as always, with some guided med- meditation, some some tarot and some um, maybe some aura work. We'll see what exactly I pull up at that moment. We're going to have Catherine O'Shea, as always, such a powerful communicator with soul. You know, she calls herself an animal communicator, but truly she communicates with all kinds of our higher levels of self and allies and spiritual allies and just some amazing messages come through. People are always so grateful for that. There's always so much healing and depth that goes on there with Catherine. We've got Michael Wan this time, which is super excited uh, to have Michael. He's going to work with our personal sort of astro theology and astrology. And that's very exciting. And each of us is going to be able to gain some depth of insight and work with our own archetypes with that. And that's super cool. So Michael, if you guys have seen him on Chance's show, you've seen him on Rogue. He's just awesome. It's going to be really rad. And then, of course, we have Chance back once again to round us out with some excellent sound healing and sound therapy and and all kinds of vibrational work. And I just like couldn't ask for anything more. I'm so excited. We already have so many people who are coming And I'll stop talking about it now, but I really hope everyone out there will go and grab their spot while there's still spots left uh, at, of course, rogueways.org in the shop. It's probably the first thing you can click on once you scroll past the categories because it is the most often bought and purchased and supported object in the shop because people love it that much. So excited. We always have repeat people coming back and I know there's going to be more this time. Okay, now I really will stop talking about it. (laughs) Well, I'm going to start talking about it. (laughs) I'm really excited. I I have a few things I want to say. So I'm going to try to start with the one that seems easiest to forget. You talked about kicking this thing off in 2020 and how obviously intense the vibe assault has been in the last two years or so. And I've noticed in doing sound healing sessions for people there's a lot of sticky energy right off of the body on the left side, you in the crown area, the corona area. And this is where the worrying about the future comes in. So I think a lot of us, I mean, I won't say all of us, but I think a lot of us, no matter how energetically resilient we are, we've been picking up some static in that zone and it's just snowballing the more quickly things slide into technocracy and tyranny. So get in there. We'll do some work on that area specifically, extra time on that area. I, uh, if anyone's worried about like not being able to hear it well or not being in person on the sound healing side, it does work remotely. I have done this more than once now and it's quite remarkable. I like, we'll just lay my massage table out and imagine what the person's body would be like if it was there. And the forks react as if there's a body there. And according to Eileen, this is also applicable to a group or even to a recording that you hear later. The important part is that you're opening up your intention to receive. And it doesn't matter what point in time or where in space this was transmitted because it's all working through the non-local zero point energy field, right? So there's all that. That's part of my pitch for why you should come in. But, you know, for the price point, you're really getting an amazing value because any one of the teachers, all four of us or healers or whatever, you know, people we are, 
<laughs> would cost more than that. Uh, in some cases, probably a lot more than that, just for a single one-on-one session for like an hour. And this is an all-day event. And I actually last time learned moves that I've been doing since then, breathing techniques. So who knows what we're going to get this time, but I'm sure it'll be exactly appropriate for the energy that we're moving into. And I just watched a um, animal communicator documentary that was like a tear-jerkingly beautiful and really made me excited to connect with Catherine O'Shea and sit in on her session again because, um, I mean, I already knew it was possible, but like now I extra believe it after <laughs> watching some of the stuff in this documentary I saw. They talked about it on Mysterious Universe. And then, of course, like you said, Michael Wan, that guy is a one-in-a-kind, super genius, awesome vibe master. Always feel really good listening to him or talking to him. So. And yeah, it is a, it's a crazy deal. It's, it's why we're going on about it. We want a lot of you there to share in it because our communities, I think, are getting stronger online right now than, than ever before. And why not make that energetic connection even more palpable and intentional and, you know, harmonizing, I guess. So like we do need to, we really need to come together, even if we can't in physical space, coming together in an event like this is going to help all of our ability to heal ourselves and the fractal just by the fact that we're like giving each other permission to be badasses. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. And, and I'm glad you brought that up that it is virtual. People are often like, where is it? Where is it? I can't, I can't travel. No, none of us are having an easy time traveling right now. And like you said, the sound healing works virtually. All of this works virtually. The meditations work virtually. Catherine's gifts work virtually. All of them do. And so it's a virtual event. And what's also cool about that for me, at least, is I've been to in-person events and you have to like choose and when I, I have to go eat and I have to go to the bathroom and I can't sketch this and oh, I'm going to miss it. Well, this is awesome because everyone gets access to the recording of it for usually a week to 10 days afterwards. So if you miss part of it and you really... And we take breaks. And we do take breaks. We do take breaks. And you can go back and watch anything and participate in anything that you may have missed. One last thing I'll add, just because I just remembered, every single time we do giveaways, we've given away Spiro EMF gear before, which if you know, is a pretty penny usually. We've given away um, Catherine's services, my own services and all kinds of gifts, orgone jewelry, just there's always giveaways too. So if it wasn't enough that each presenter's skills and gifts and sessions are at least double the cost, and you're getting all four of us at half that divided by four, <laughs> um, you also might get some really cool prizes. It's far more than worth the money. And I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to be able to offer it at that price. We can do that because we get enough people to participate that it is far, you know, worth all of our times. It's just such a great event. I'm so stoked. I'm very excited. Okay. I'll stop again. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I'm really excited for it too, but I guess even though I could probably just go on for at least an entire three hour of a podcast, just talking about one day of brightness and who's going to be there and maybe cool stories from previous ones even though I've only even been to one before we'll move into the actual conversation. One last thing. If I may. It's good that we front loaded a topic. Sorry. It's on the 26th. It's from 10 AM to 4 PM mountain time. And again, you can go to rogueways.org and just go to the shop and find it. Or you can go to coreysharman.com slash product slash one dash day dash of dash brightness. Either way. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. The links will also be in the show notes. Very important that we give the date, I guess. <laughs> I always forget. I'm like, just come. <laughs> kind of important. And that's on a Saturday. So yeah, it's we'll be Sunday. It's a Sunday. She's right. Okay. Maybe. I was like, is it? Yeah, it is a Sunday. I, I'm picturing my mental image of my calendar and what side of the calendar it's on. And it's on the left side where Sunday is. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad we front loaded with all these positive vibe topics, just kind of demonstrate that even though we're going to go to some psychological vistas here, the solutions are in our hands at all times, and in particular, immunity to these type of energy vampires or straight up violent. Uh, crazy pants people, like I said, is maintaining our own energy. Like I was just having this conversation with Ryan in the Telegram group the other day, and he's been out gifting. We won't explain more about that. If people have listened to your episode with Mitch and mine with Mitch, they know what gifting is. And anyway, uh, he told a story about somebody walking up to him that was like literally like a zombie and shuffled past him without looking down. While he was like kneeling down on uh, digging and it was, you know, near one of these frequency devices that are so harmful to entire towns and neighborhoods. So my my take on that story was just like, I think sometimes that the emotional plague, AI, mind virus, parasite, Agent Smith thing, <laughs> it knows that when you are maintaining your sovereignty through maintaining your personal energy field that it literally can't touch you, but it might try to like throw things at you to put you into the fear. And then once you drop into fear, then like new options of messing with you become possible. But I have yet to see any evidence to dispute uh, something I currently accept, which is that if you keep yourself healthy and whole and maintain your awareness of like all itself and don't lie to yourself about how your energy is and what might need to be done to address it, you're pretty much like, I don't think that misfortune or, you know, external force does really have a play on in, in run anytime before what you came here to do, your soul contract, right? Yes, I absolutely am in agreement with that. And, you know, keeping yourself pumped up strong, even if you're, you don't always have to be pumped up, you know, sometimes it's just a calm acceptance sort of, but just kind of knowing your strength and confidence in your beauty. And one thing I'll um, just front load with is that all of this psychopathic, sociopathic and borderline personality disorder behavior is programmed and engendered within us intentionally, exactly because we are very powerful spiritually, just in our natural way, just our natural human. I hate seeing human nature, uh, because I don't really believe that that exists. <clears throat> But honestly, it it kind of does, right? We're in this place and we're in this time and there are certain things that are much more likely and all sorts of reasons for that. And so to to fight that, to stop that, they have to work so hard, these psychopaths. Um, and so that that should give you heart. That should make you feel heartened and, and confident because you know that that means that naturally inside of yourself, you have this ability to be strong and confident and resist anything that they might be doing. Like, very easy and simply. And we're going to end on that note as well, uh, because we always want to remember the main reason we're even talking about this is so that we can recognize it um, and protect ourselves against it and see it for what it is. Because a lot of times it's very easy to fall into psychopath tra traps and psychopath training and conditioning. So if we can recognize it, then we can avoid it. And we can also be healthier by having really strong boundaries against that type of behavior. Honestly, it, we also 
probably want to find it within ourselves if we have, and all of us have little bits and pieces of each of these things uh, that we're going to talk about and, and weed those out as well. Yeah. Uh, the awesome researcher, Michael Tesserion says all the time that the sage and the psychopath are millimeters apart. <laughs> something. So. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but it's something along those lines. And of course, there's that classic quote that the mystic swims in the waters that the schizophrenic drowns in. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Aberrant psychology and and what we what I hate again calling normal psychology, but we may as well call it that for brevity's sake uh, are are always like a hair's breadth apart. And that's why we can all relate to all of these things. So there's another like caveat that we should all consider when we're hearing about this as we talk about it today, which is that if you're hearing this and you're thinking, oh man, that time I did that thing or like, oh, the other day I was like this or like, sometimes I feel like that. Don't pathologize yourself and don't diagnose yourself. It's really easy for all of us. And this is exactly, this should actually remind you that you are not a psychopath and you probably don't have borderline personality disorder if you can empathize and sympathize with these things that we're describing um, because specifically psychopaths wouldn't. Uh, And often they say like, if you've never questioned your sanity, you might be insane. It's something like that, right? If you can if you can see yourself in this and you wonder if you might be that, you're probably not. It's not a end all be all like final uh, say, but it's just it's never going to be safe to pathologize or diagnose yourself. So so don't. And, and having said that, I'll say try not to pathologize and diagnose others around you as well. Although without pathologizing and diagnosing them, you can still recognize some of these behaviors and have boundaries against them. And that's the really important part. I was just thinking of the way it's so paradoxical that the narcissist is focused on their own self, but completely void of (laughs) self-reflection. Yeah. (laughs) It's so bizarre. And they're so amped up about themselves and like focused on themselves. And at the same time, they have the most fragile ego. They are the most terrified of criticism and any sort of, um, you know, yeah, criticism. <laughs> but when we recognize the stuff in ourselves, that actually is proof that you have self-reflection. And even if it's a pattern that you're like, and I need to break this pattern. Oh, I'm doing it again. Just keep at least keep paying attention to it. You're definitely not sliding into worse if you unless you ignore it and let it just snowball that way. Yes. Notice it. And honestly, do what I do. Ask your inner self for help. Be like, okay, next time, help me notice this pattern sooner. Help me make better choices or other choices. Um, it works every time. It your does. I've done like the same waiting. thing. Like, please ask me for help. <laughs> yeah. Brain loves pattern recognition games. Just be like brain or mind. Please notify me when you observe this pattern again. Yes. And it'll be like, you got it, boss. But if you don't give it those type of instructions, it's going to identify patterns obsessively that turn into like, you know, neurotic thoughts. So (laughs) it's better to put your, your mind on task and treat, treat it like the game loving, you know, part of yourself that it is rather than let it throw tantrums and all that, because it's not being guided. Yeah. Respond instead of reacting. Yeah. So uh, should we jump into slides? What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So we're on the title slide, which I already showed, but yeah. we're talking about conditioned and, by psychopathy. And I titled it this because of an article I wrote last year of the same name, conditioned by psychopathy, because I was 
talking and hearing a lot about bullies and bullying and bully culture and how people are falling into these patterns and why are people falling into these patterns and Stockholm syndrome and the government and abuse and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, having seen this and studied this myself for years, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I didn't even major in psychology. I just have a deep interest in it. And I have personal experience with my own aberrant psychology. And I have experience with people near to me who are borderline personality disorder uh, which has given me a deep insight as well. And so I just wanted to lay out um, for other people who haven't had as much experience or um, interest in it, some of these things, again, because I feel like it is safer to know. Um, so one thing to start with is the idea of what it is that might you might call it human nature, if you like. <laughs> but this idea that genuinely humans are generally good. And we can see this. And if you need metrics and studies about it, you can go see this in all sorts of ways uh, that humans in general are good. Humans in general are helpful. Humans in general have empathy. Humans in general feel pain when they see other people in pain. Um, we have all sorts of examples of humans being good. Uh, and part of that makes us what some people might call naive, right? Um, we, for example, expect other people to be good because we see that most people are good and that we are mostly good. We expect, therefore, that most people will be mostly good. We therefore forget that there are predators and psychopaths sort of hiding in the bushes that might pounce at any time because we don't expect it. Uh, and we don't want to think about those things because we're mostly good. We want to think about good things. We all know that. <laughs> we all know that feeling. So there's some aspect of this that feels like we're really naive uh, because we continue to expect the best. Even when we see really horrible behavior and really horrible things, we still manage to expect the best. It's really sweet. It's really cute. Humans are adorable. Um, it's, but there's it's also, a, also a, func a function of projecting your virtue on other people. And yes. that's one way that that like actually leads into things like trauma bonding and unhealthy codependent relationships where both people have that type of uh, situation uh, of dependency on the other, even though the neither one is really right for the other one in terms yeah. of compatibility or life goals, because yeah, we're, when you are stuck, you do not recognize your greatness. Basically that's part of what's keeping you stuck. And you definitely can project that virtue on other people. That is, that is a human nature thing. I think it's part of the naivety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's something some people might feel like that's kind of narcissistic, like it's self-centered uh, to, to expect other people to be like you. It's not really. It's really more about us being pack animals and group animals and that we expect around us some level of um, conformity, you know, and it's because traditionally we can assume that it's because traditionally that's been true within our group. There's been a bit of uniformity. Um, so it makes sense, you know, why we would assume these things and why we would expect that that type of thing. Because we're pack animals, too, though, we have uh, things like the expectation that people will lead us. If we're not the leader, we expect that someone will lead us. This is normal group dynamics has a leader because groups don't function very well, especially if they have a common goal at achieving their purpose, unless there are leaders. Um, so we expect a leader and we want the leader to be strong. And this is where we get into like alpha beta and all of these things. They're real. You know, some people feel like that's put upon us by an outside structure. All pack mammals are like this. All pack animals are like this. And we are group animals. And that's just true. It's just a part of our functioning. And again, if you want to call it human nature, you can. Uh, so we can get into some aspects of that too. But more well, what, what you're pointing out is that people to cut in real, with a really quick one. Um, 
people mis- mistake artificial and malignant hierarchy for being that all hierarchy is artificial and malignant, but it is not. And you can look at a healthy functioning family dynamic for uh, example, or any primates that are group animals. There is such a thing as a natural hierarchy. Yes. And there's a natural, there's a reason too why we choose certain people as leaders. Um, They stand out, they're able to take charge, people listen and look to them, they might actually be physically larger, or maybe even more um, physically appealing and attractive in in various ways. Uh, And that is, again, goes back to perhaps what may have been our, um, you know, evolution in that the the strongest and the boldest and the most beautiful made the best breeders and you know the, but we also look for intelligence and other things and so it also makes sense some people think that you know anarchy which i personally believe is the best system if you're going to have a system uh has to include no leaders but that's not true in fact if we had no leaders we would very likely get nothing done ever might be cool to live that way too. You just have to decide, do you want to have some things that you get done or do you want to just kind of live in disorganized self uh, delusion? I don't know. Anyways. It's like the difference between, it's like we're talking the difference between grandpa giving everybody wise instructions to the whole clan versus (laughs) the Fresh Prince of Smell Hair making YouTube videos about why you should go get your poison dart. You know, like that is not natural hierarchy because you're putting a figurehead above an entire damn continent or whatever. That makes no sense in nature. You can't, but there's no ability for that to be consensual. But in a group dynamic where it's a tribe or a large family, you you all know each other. And there are other ways that the power dynamic balances itself out. Like maybe everyone listens to grandpa, but there's a grandma is telling him what to do or whatever, you know, like, but they all know each other. She, grandma's got everyone's best interest in mind. She happens to know that like maybe one of the teenagers has a sensitivity to being spoken to in a certain way. And when grandpa's too harsh, she corrects him in private. I don't know. This is just like all imaginary, but my point is in natural family dynamic hierarchies, there are so many checks and balances because humans have empathy. Like you said, naturally. Right. But there's no empathy with the machine. (laughs) No. And the machine is a good thing to keep in mind um, as we move on more and more. But you're absolutely right. And this is true in communities as well. There's natural leaders and and there's also natural checks and balances like you described. We would, for example, in a small community, we'd be like, well, are we going to cut down more trees or not? And then some guy who's never been in a forest would come out and be like, I really think we should because I have saws. And we'd be like, huh, is that the best leader in this particular moment? Or and then some other, you know, lady would come forth and be like, well, I actually spent all my time in the forest and we should only take these types in these times of the year. Like, okay, that lady actually has way more experience. We'll go with her. Right. We have really unnatural systems, like you said. Now we have permanent positions. It never is going to make sense. It's never going to make sense to have a permanent position of leadership. Uh, And we have um, abnormal, you know, we choose people based on things that have absolutely nothing to do with what they're actually doing. For example, Dr. Anthony Fauci um, has absolutely the worst track record in keeping people alive and choosing safe methods of treating illness. And yet we are supposedly listening to him for this current um, supposed thing that's happening. So that makes no sense. Um, We haven't chosen him because of any sort of rational reasons. And that's the type of thing we get in these unnatural 
systems. Whereas the natural systems having natural leadership and natural checks and balances based on empathy and understanding makes a lot more sense. And there's nothing bad about having leaders and hierarchy. Another extreme example that came up in one of your recent shows was about in the, after the armistice of, I think, World War One, there was a general that knew that the peace treaty was about to be signed in like two hours, and he still sent thousands of young men to the meat grinder anyway. That is because psychopaths are attracted to positions of power and domination over others. And so unnatural hierarchies like government as it stands today is not only a psychopath magnet, but a psychopath breeding ground. And let's not ignore, and this is why we're even talking about this, is because each of us has a responsibility to not follow psychopaths. Those young men, unfortunately, have some part of the burden of their own death because they chose to listen to that psychopath. I understand it, was, it would be very difficult not to and all of these things. I, I get it. Uh, but if we start early and we understand psychopathy as early as possible, and we start weeding it out of our life and learning more and more to not go along with psychopathic systems, uh, things like that can't happen because we are all empowered enough to make our own choices. But uh, the third bullet point here points out behavioral psychology and reinforcement systems exist and have been created artificially in order to keep psychopathic systems moving forward and psychopathic people in power. And this includes most notoriously our educational system, which is built almost entirely on psychopathic relationships and sociopathic relationships and is devoid of empathy for the most part. And that's not to say that everyone in it is some sort of borderline personality disorder narcissist, uh, but many are. And those people tend to rise to power, as we'll talk about. Uh, and that system itself, the actual system and the, and the way it is designed, is designed to sever your empathy and your natural internal wisdom systems as much as possible and place you in um, need of a hierarchical authority figure, which is automatically prone to attract psychopaths. So that is the worst of our systems that have been put in place to control do a us. whole episode just on the origins of the just education that. system, <laughs> which is about getting people to go uh, die willingly in war. That was the origin of it. Ultimately, yeah, it's to create mindless zombie drones that will do what you tell them war, creating, you know, goods ad nauseum that they don't need, uh, following along in systems that serve psychopaths without question, all of that. If we really wanted truly empowered and fully, you know, uh, intelligent human beings, we would do things far differently. And we know that we have scientific studies for it. Like you said, we could do a whole episode just on that. Um, uh, but family dynamics have often been twisted to support psychopathy rather than the sort of healthy dynamics that we were discussing earlier. Our cultural norms and our cultural priming, especially in our media, also highlight and emphasize and reinforce uh, psychopathic behavior and sociopathic and personality disorder behavior. So these are all on a spectrum for me. We go from uh, personality disorder to sociopathy to psychopathy. And the last uh, thing that I'll throw out there that's really it's a psychopathic byproduct, but it's also an apathetic byproduct. And it's um, the Dunning-Kruger uh, syndrome. I don't know. I don't know what you call it, actually. <laughs> principle. Uh, the Dunning-Kruger principle is that people who are of lower intelligence are less likely to understand that they are not of high intelligence. And so they're very confident in their stupidity, in their ignorance. 
So they behave confidently and they present their conclusions, however erroneous, confidently, and they present their ignorance confidently. And humans, because we're naive (laughs) and we expect people to be good and, and honest, we look at that confident behavior and we say, they must know something I don't. They're very confident about it. And so we think that they're intelligent. That's why people trust me and you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're just doing what they could do if they decided they were able to or wanted to. It's true. And the the more intelligent people get, the less sure of their intelligence they get. Or rather, as, as many of our most intelligent physicists and scientists and psychologists and all sorts of people have pointed out, the more, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. So the more I study something, the more I realize there is so much more that I need to know in order to really understand this. Now, I'm still much more knowing and knowledgeable and, and intelligent about it than many people. But because I know how much I don't know, I may present things slightly less confident. I might point out what I don't know. I might say, well... Based on my understanding so far, it seems like this. That's actually the most intelligent way to put it. But what people hear is that person doesn't know what they're talking about. They're not very confident. They're not very sure. We're not going to trust them. So the intelligent person undervalues their intelligence and they present things less confidently. So Dunning-Kruger states that the people who will be perceived as and then rewarded as and therefore put in leadership positions are the stupidest. And the people who are the most intelligent are going to fall along the wayside and not be listened to because they're less confident. That's a really short summary of it. But this is why another reason why we tend to allow people who are not appropriate for various positions to be in those positions in addition to the rest of this psychological twisting that we're seeing. So all of those things play into why we even have psychopaths in power. Wow. Really awesome summary of Dunning-Kruger. I haven't really put it into context of psychopathic systems in our culture. So I will just keep us moving forward, though, because this is really good. And um, yeah, I I actually will say I can relate to the more you know, the less you feel like, you know, I, I liken it to trying to wrap your arms around the information to fully embrace it. But the more that you're wrapping your arms around it, the more is between your arms. And you're just like, ah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're still floating up there in this like huge sea of, of information and wisdom. You just are like, oh, wow, there's like a way more in this sea than I can even see. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, we already covered this naivety concept, but I'll just... Um, summarize, you know, we we generally believe we are good and therefore we believe other people will be good and therefore what people are doing must be good. This is true even if the behavior isn't good. We think, well, they wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't good, right? And we start here. So sometimes a lot of us are good at then saying, wait a second, what if it's not? Okay, maybe it's not. Okay, maybe I should do something about it. Uh, But a lot of people stop right there and go, well, no, it's probably good. Or else why would they do it? We hear this all the time when people say, for example, why would someone make a medication that might harm millions of people? Why would they do that, right? They wouldn't do that. So it must be good. The medication must be good for us. They, and they stop there. And many of us then go, well, wait a second. Actually, it shows in history that they make far more money than they have to pay out in damages. So maybe they would do it. And maybe they do it because it makes them money. Or who knows why? Maybe there's a million reasons why. But we have to keep going beyond this assumption that that things people do must be good because they're doing them. 
it's it sounds so simple to those of us who have ever gone beyond that, but to so many people just stop there. Um, so we also therefore believe however we're being treated must be good and for our benefit, even if it is abusive and harmful at times. Um, and we assume that everyone is doing the best thing they can be doing. There must be a reason for it. Even if it's not that great, it must be the best thing possible at this moment. And none of these things are true. But because we are good and believe we are good and therefore others are good, we fall into all these logical fallacies about other people. And yeah, there's, oh gosh, there he is. <laughs> Here's an example. Fresh prince of smell hair. <laughs> We can see this man so many times touching, especially children, but also women and others, extremely inappropriately holding them when they seem like they're trying to get away, holding them against their will, talking about being in pools with children that are rubbing his legs. None of it makes sense. All of it should send off red flags and alarms. And none of it does because we say, oh, it's just a nice old man. He just really likes kids. And he's just of a generation where you just, touch people and smell their hair all the time against their will. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> but this is an example of our naivety and of people wanting to believe the best. It must be okay. Or else why would he be doing it? Right? Why would he be doing most it? Most popular camera? president ever. It's the most popular president ever. Why would he be touching? He got hair? more votes than anybody's ever got. <laughs> yes. And then, totally legitimate. <laughs> and then we go into delusion if it's challenged too much. And we start saying things like, oh, well, it must be Russian propaganda then. Because he can't be that bad. <laughs> it's so sad it's we're so good we're so good it's sad i get frustrated with people sometimes when they can't see the reality of some of these absolute predators um but i also have to remember how good they are and that's why they believe this it's very it's hard it's to paradox <laughs> yeah you know i've observed this dude getting so off the rails that they have to overproduce everything that comes out with them like it's all edited because he probably had five minutes of garbled mumbling between getting any actual words out. And the other thing I've observed is that on the White House's YouTube channel, where they have to turn the comments off for their videos because otherwise they would be too lit. Uh, <laughs> it's usually about a 10% to 90% like to dislike ratio. So that tells me that people are opening their eyes big time to this, even though what we're told by the other psychopaths with way too much power, the mainstream media that most popular president ever or whatever. But I don't think that I, I at least maybe it's where I live, but I've not run into many or any people with that opinion. IRL, but I'm sure they're out there. It's a very, well, my grandpa, reality. <laughs> my grandpa, actually, I'll just say that yeah. <laughs> he watches like CNN all day. He thinks the Democrats are the same that they were in the fifties, you know, yeah. 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 It's hard to see through it. And that's that's part of this, too. Why would CNN tell me that if it wasn't true? Right. <laughs> um, another aspect of our pack psychology that we project out is we say, well, if no one is doing this thing, then we shouldn't either. Right. So this is part of the the ease and brainwashing us into thinking that we should all be wearing face diapers over our breathing holes. Um, well, no one else is not wearing one. So I probably shouldn't not wear one. I should probably wear one. Everyone's doing it, right? I should do that too. I always bring up the example that's um, terrifying and hard, but I lived through, which is some man abducted me and was dragging me down a very well lit, very crowded street as I was screaming and begging for help and crying. And no one helped me because of this exact psychological principle. 
And that is that no one was helping me. So if no one was helping me, what we probably shouldn't help her. There's probably no need to help her. There's something else going on we don't understand. We should just leave it. Once one person helps, then everyone goes, oh, someone's doing that. Well, we should all do it then. So it's just this like very strange psychological principle we have as pack animals that we do what everyone's doing because that's what we're doing. <laughs> so it takes a very independent mind uh, to see beyond that level. That's a, it's not a bad thing. None of these things are bad in, in and of themselves. There's purposes for all of them. There's a good reason why we tend to all do the same thing because it tends to be the best way for us to all reach the, the group goal. Um, but there are times when we don't want to be lemmings and follow each other off the cliff either. Um, you know, it is true that it's safer in the group. So we do have group psychology for a reason. It, it's safer when we're living out, especially in harsh environments, uh, to be in the group and to be with the group and doing what the group is doing. Uh, but therefore, we also have that negative aspect of that, which is that we tend to do what the group's doing, even when it's not safe. We tend to believe the group will take care of us. Uh, and the group does tend to take care of us. But also, if the group has been inverted by psychopaths, <laughs> taking care of us might not look like actually caring and it might not be actually helpful. Uh, but if we're too naive to see through that and to find the psychopathy and to make boundaries against it, then it's going to harm us. Uh, I want to. Assume... Oh, I thought you were finished in this slide. You finish and then I'll wrap up a thought. OK, perfect. And we already talked about this, but we, again, assume that the leaders of the group must be the strongest, best and smartest, because traditionally, most often it was likely that. And we would likely replace anyone who wasn't the best, strongest and smartest. But we don't function that way anymore because we have artificial structures on top of our impulses that keep people in power, even if they're not the strongest, best or smartest. Yeah, uh, the group psychology dynamic is another thing that deserves its own examination in a full program. Like to bring up to Sarion again, he's done some of the most useful work on this I've ever encountered. But there is some very strange stuff going on with humans and groupthink right now. And I think on the psychological, spiritual development level, humans, part of what we're here to do is to learn how to individuate ourselves from the group. And that that process has been inverted or hijacked by possibly millennia of eugenics programs that attempt to only allow those to breed who are the most like the fictionalized lemmings jumping off a cliff, which, by the way, the D totally staged that. They just caused the yeah, lemmings to run off the real. cliff and, and <laughs> murdered them, <laughs> right. which I think must have been some kind of a like hex to get people to oh, cute little lemmings, and then they all commit mass suicide. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You never know what Disney's up to. They're mad sorcery. But the point is that uh, this is why people will join. People will join big protests and movements. Uh, they might want to feel like they're doing something, but there's mainly what's going on is this feeling of euphoria. There's actually a euphoric rush. It's hard to imagine for those of us that don't even gel with groups or vibe with groups at all. When a person surrenders their, I guess you could say their will or their behavior to a group mind, the evacuation of their energy into the larger field or bubble is actually a euphoric experience. It's kind of like the way that, I don't know, there's a lot of things that people will do that literally kills themselves, but it feels good while they're doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And so there's something about that drop, dropping out into the group mind and allowing that hive to take over that actually feels good to people. I think it's hard for us to realize that there is a bioenergetic rush of in like euphoria about it. So definitely just keep that in mind whenever you see mass hysteria, especially in the form of like crazy stuff going on in the streets. Cause even at the end, even at the end of the day, knowing what government is enslaving humanity, as soon as you try to fight it with its own weapons, it invented that game. <laughs> You're not going to win that game. Right. It's best to maintain your own vibe in an independent sovereign way or with your own tribe and your own natural hierarchy. And then that's a big part of being unfuckwithable. Yeah, it's very true. And, you know, part of it is that I think we tend to go to extremes. We're like, oh, group think is bad. So I'm never going to be a part of a group. And like, I could lose myself to the group. So I'm not going to be part of a group. I'm going to be wary of groups. Well, the the truth is <laughs> there's always going to be a good purpose for a group. And there's always going to be a good purpose for not a group. And so the best thing you could do is to be able to be in a group and be uh, cohesive in that group when it is best for you and the group and to also remain independent and to, when necessary, continue to individuate beyond the group. So middle you path. can join middle path. Yeah. <laughs> so you can join together with a group when, when you need to, when it serves everybody and you can also release from it. And so you had actually brought up um, that, that idea chance to me, uh, which I had not heard before uh, that, you know, people can lose themselves to the group. And I'd said, Oh, I've never had that experience. So I'm not sure. I, I just don't know enough about it. Um, and I've done protest organizing and I've been in huge, I've been in a group of 50,000 people protesting the the war in 2003. Um, and I didn't have that experience, but I was myself an individual in that group and I was doing what I wanted in that group. And I was a part of it in as much as it also served my needs. But I remember this time where I finally, for the first time ever, got very excited about a sports team winning a game. And I did lose myself. It wasn't even that big of a group, but I remember like feeling like the rush and screaming and being like, Whoa! and then like, so I even stopped and looked at my sister and I was like, Whoa, that was really weird. And it was like way more fun than I ever thought it could be. And she was like, yeah, me too. I've never felt this way before. We, we were both like shocked at how it like took us up exactly as you're describing. So I didn't remember that when you were describing that, but I have experienced it before and it is euphoric. Uh, and it was funny because it was so strange. And that can be benign too. That can be yeah. benign in the right setting, you know, or and even it might cool. Even serve you, you know, and especially in maybe like shamanic sorts of uh, situations to uh, be lost in that moment as a group. You like know, one day brightness. Psychological, <laughs> right. Who knows what kind of psychological purpose it can serve for the good. Um, Another yeah, aspect then, of it too, to throw in the a darker side is the concept of bloodlust, which is when... A group of soldiers, they're like pillaging a town and they're doing things that no, none of them would have ever done by themselves without the orders to go destroy that town. And, you know, maybe the general just said, take the town, but they're going in the whole nine. You know, they're doing it all. And that bloodlust or rush of euphoria is a is the exact same dynamic taken to basically its darkest, lowest vibrational outcome we cut out for a second are we back okay Okay. yeah okay we're good (laughs) um yeah and that could serve a purpose too you know in that um 
we can both positive and negative, we can accomplish things we couldn't alone because we don't believe them. We don't believe ourselves capable of it. So, so killing and raping is one example in the dark side of that. But on the positive side, again, on the shamanic side, we may not believe that we can go in and heal ourselves or change future of humanity or change timelines. Uh, but together, uh, we can and we can give ourselves up to that and feel that is possible, you know, alone. No, I could never do that. But oh, together. Oh, sure, we can try, you know, like there's a positive and a negative to most of these, these aspects of our psychology and our, our ability. Um, An example would be fight geoengineering. Like more and more people are actually picking up that fight. And I see people excited to wake up in the morning or to go out on their, their missions or to make the orgone. There's a rush in a very positive sense. I think there. Knowing that we can do it together. Yeah. It's, it's very beautiful. I did do an episode on group psychology at some point on rogue ways. If people want to go visit that. And I talk about a lot of these things too, in the, in the positive and the negative senses and how we can, avoid the negative and, and welcome the positive. But, um, you know, another aspect that is used against us is our behavioral psychology. So as humans, we also have the tendency to be uh, what Michael Wan and I talked about once as being like programmable. It's like we're programmable. We have these various buttons we can push and these various things that seem like there's no way around them and we can't undo them. And the psychopaths know this. And so they uh, use it against us. And the simplest version of behavioral control and, and programming is to reward what you want to continue and to punish what you want to stop. And we all can relate to that. We use it with our dogs and children, perhaps. And it has been used on us. So aberrant psychology in our society is rewarded. And we know this, even with this phrase, we all say that the shit floats to the top. <laughs> we know that the psychopaths end up on top. We always talk about how our CEOs and bosses tend to be psychopaths. I mean, we literally do studies that most CEO heads are psychopaths uh, and that bosses often have borderline personality disorder aspects. So we we know that uh, and we don't even really seem to be bothered much by it or to think deeply or beyond that that is just true. Um, and our normal psychology, if you want to call it that, is punished. And we have the we have a phrase there that we all can relate to, too, that nice guys finish last. Right. We know that if you're just a normal, good person, it, you tend to be run over and left behind. Uh, and we also see it again in that we can we've seen studies and we know that people who think critically and ask more questions are often more likely to be medicated. Or if you want to put it in an educational context, they're more likely to be um punished or kicked out of class or otherwise, you know, removed or taught that they're bad. So we can see these in in other areas too, if we want to, but these are just some quick examples to show you that this society is set up to reward aberrant psychology and punish normal psychology. Um, our culture is constantly promoting images and examples, and, and most of them would fall into if not psychopathic, sociopathic, or borderline personality disorder categories of behaviors. And so we're going to look at each of them, each of the psychopathic, sociopathic, and borderline personality types so that we can become more familiar with what they actually look like. So you can start to see how it surrounds you everywhere you look (laughs) in media, but also in people and in their behavior. And especially right now, right now in 2021 is the height that I've ever seen of aberrant psychology being rewarded and celebrated. Well, I want to point out too, since you've been doing a lot of like, well, this is the light side of it. This is the dark side of it. 
a way to distinguish maybe going in when we're talking about bosses <laughs> for me, at least in my personal history, when it was a big corporation like Domino's, when I worked there, I called it Demonos. The stories I could tell about the general manager and like assistant manager of that store would. Yeah. I mean, it would put the show cops to shame, like <laughs> really horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. And I wonder if there's something to do with like these corporate hierarchy power chains, like these, you know, pissing at little middle managers that are just running one pizza shop think or feel like I have the entire power of dominoes in my hands in this kingdom. You know what I mean? (laughs) Whereas like when I worked at a restaurant that was just owned by a local family or something, maybe only had one or two locations, the management was cool. They were chill. You know, like maybe they weren't always perfect or or whatever, but I think of my mom, she owns a company. She's got about 50 employees and she talks to me all the time about how her main stress in life is making sure that their 50 people's families are adequately provided for, not just the one person who's working there, you know, like, so that's natural hierarchy, aberrant, disgusting, corporate, monolithic you know, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> How many words can I describe corporation? <laughs> psychopathic. They're psychopathic. It's psychopathic. Yeah. And it's it interesting is. that you point that out. Cause it's, ob- it's absolutely true. It's much more likely to be true what you just described. And it could be as simple as the people who are working for and creating their business from the ground up have um, a lot more empathy and sympathy and like actual feelers in it. And you know, it's the, it's their thing. It could be psychopath, small business owners, but totally. I see but what you mean. It's probably much less likely. Whereas the corporate, I mean, a corporation is literally a dead entity. It's basically a psychopath in itself. It can't feel. <laughs> it's an know? AI that lives on paper instead of in computers. Yeah. I mean, so seriously, it is. It's got like, you yeah. know, it, it's got a feed on profits, <laughs> increasing revenue. Right. At the, so and then the sense. people at the top make decisions and they never saw anybody that it affected face to face. Absolutely. Yeah. It breeds psychopathy. It, it, it invites psycho- psychopathy. Uh, in my own experiences, when I've worked at smaller businesses, the bosses have been, you know, strict or severe or, or harsh or kind of had high standards, but they also cared about me. And like you said, wanted to make sure I was okay and had a livelihood and could continue doing that. Uh, and when I've worked at mostly schools, which are, again, bastions of psychopathy and, and really designed to create more and more of it, um, most of my bosses have had borderline personality disorders or seem sociopathic or psychopathic. Some of them not, and some of them may not be diagnosable, but have more of those tendencies. But enough of them were literally diagnosable that uh, it's it's worrisome. It's worrisome to see this pattern over and over again. And those are the people running your children's education. <laughs> it's probably worse than when I was in school, but let me tell a quick story I've probably never told on the show before. In high school, I was the editor-in-chief of the school newspaper. And it was kind of cool because I I got to start that as a junior, and usually a senior takes that role. So I got to do it two years in a row. So by my senior year, I was ballsy. (laughs) And I was writing stories about, like, what's the ingredients in the pizza? And did you know that the French fries in the cafeteria freezer are seven years old? And, you know, uh, maybe a few critical articles about decision making amongst the administration of the high school. And 
I was threatened by the principal that he was going to uh, cancel the school newspaper. Uh, he, the principal changed the rules about sports out of the blue to target me. I know this sounds narcissistic, but basically yeah. I was taking, I was taking a minimal number of hours my senior year so I could spend the other part of the school day being the editor in chief of the newspaper and taking it really seriously, even though it did, I didn't need to. I just really liked it. I thought I was going to go to journalism school. I got kicked out of journalism school, but now I'm doing like the, you know, you're doing indie, real journalism now. Indie journalism. Yeah. <laughs> so funny how that worked out. But anyway, he changed the rules that and made it so that not only did you have to be in a full eight hours or whatever of courses to do sports in the semester of the sport, But also you had to have been at the previous semester. So he ruled me out. And I was the only student in the school who the rule change actually affected whether or not they could do sports. And uh, that really happened. Like, you know, these are these are real people that are the principal of schools. And maybe they put on a really great face and can charm you at the PTA meeting or whatever. But at the end of the day, it does attract the most infected of personalities, these especially people that just never even got over their high school days. They go flocking to it. Yes. And there are inbuilt methods for getting rid of those who are not petty tyrants and who do not practice borderline personality disorder behaviors against their students and underlings. Um, so, so if you had a good principal uh, or a good leader, it's, it's possible that they genuinely changed the culture of your school or, or helped it grow. And that happens but it's rare and it's much more likely they got fired, pushed out or otherwise removed from that position, demoted or whatever, because there are inbuilt methods of dealing with this sort of thing if you're not psychopathic enough. But we're going to get into all of the details of each of these disorders and so you could recognize them more easily again. And we're going to see examples from our culture of how rampant these behaviors have become and how celebrated. And I'm excited for that. Yeah, that's going to be great. We're going to do that in hour two, everybody. If you somehow didn't know, that will be on Rockfin and Patreon only. And Lindsay's fans, if you're premium members on Rockfin, you can tune in without having to do anything extra. So that is always really clutch. But before we swap hours, if you had anything you wanted to leave with the premium folks, including, of course, reminding them where they can find all the things that you do, all the things you can do for them. And, you know, the dates of one day of brightness, kind of recap all that. We'll go a little yeah. over the hour, but you don't have to rush <laughs> through all that. Let them know everything about how they can connect with you. And that would be an awesome way to end it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited. And the one day of brightness is the best way to, again, like we were talking about, literally protect yourself from psychopathy, sociopathy, and all borderline personality disorders, all types of abuse and bullying. And that's simply because, like we said, building yourself up, being confident and being in deeper touch with who you really are is the best defense against the dark arts. And so take take our defense against the dark arts class. It's really is like a class, but it's much more than that because it's experiential and you get actual messages from your spirit guides, for example, or actual meditations you can take and do elsewhere, actual learnings as well, like we were talking about. So that is on uh, this. It's not on the Equinox this time, which I'm really sad about. But, you know, I wanted to make it on a Sunday so that people could go to it. So it is on the 26th, shortly after the Equinox, and it is in celebration of the equinox and in connection with that energy that heightens at that time. Uh, and so on the 26th, it is from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Mountain 
time zone. And you can get your uh, tickets to that at rogueways.org by going to the shop and looking for the one day of brightness. And I, anybody who is a listener of this show can get a discount on their tickets. If you buy it within the next week, if you can enter the coupon code chance rules. And if you do that, you can get 10% off your ticket price. So I'm very excited to have all of you guys there with us. And I know chance is going to give away some, um, you know, little freebies and, and stuff later as time gets closer, I think to the, to the event itself too. So look forward to those. So that is there. And speaking of rogue ways, if you head to the shop there, you will also see all of the other things I have to offer. There's lots of articles. And in fact, the article that this presentation is based on somewhat is there on the homepage. But in the shop, I also offer um, various healing energies and modalities, various types of spiritual support, especially if you feel like you're suffering with any sorts of um you know, what you might describe as like dark or uh, dysfunctional energy in your uh, mental or spiritual or emotional spheres. I really love to support people getting through that. And so I do all sorts of work with that. I also do tarot readings. If you're just looking for some guidance and some messages from your inner self or your higher self, however you like to think about those things, your guides. Um, and I write books, which I love to share with people. My favorite is my most recent book, in addition to my trilogy that I have book one and book two of, it's a fictional trilogy, Sign Curve of Eons. You can get that on my site signed. I have this new book, All Endings Are Beginnings, and it is super fun. It's like an oracle. It really uh, is a bunch of channeled, uplifting, inspirational, spiritual sorts of uh, wisdom nuggets. And what's really cool is people are using it like a, uh, bibliomantic sort of oracle godshot sort of book where you could ask a question and just open it to a random page and that will be your answer and the stories people share blow me away they don't really blow me away because i know that's what the book is for <laughs> but it blows me away how uh it's every single person every single time we've used it on the show on rogue ways that way when people ask questions we'll get answers that way uh, and people are doing it in their own life so if that sounds like something you would like go grab that from the shop. You can get it from me with a little inscription to you as well as the rest of the books I sell there. Um, or you can grab them on Amazon. They're also there under Corey Sharman, which is my pen name. So I think that's everything. I always feel like I leave something out, but I will love to see you guys all on the site or on Rogueways or on Rockfin uh, Middle Path as well. Yeah, there's so much that you're up to. It's pretty hard to cover it all, but I think you did a good job. and. I'll affirm the all endings are beginnings, bibliomantic potential. I've done it more than once. It definitely works for that. Shout out Snake Jones and Eric from our Telegram groups that collaborated to get me a physical copy of that, which was so nice of them. So nice. I love that. It made me so happy, not just because I love that you chance have a copy of it, but also because I just love the idea of gifting that book to people. It's such a beautiful gift. I'm very grateful to be a part of that. It's really an honor. I'll let everyone in on a secret. I was the first one to get a copy via That's email. True. That is true. You were the first person to ever see the completed product. That's amazing. In fact, you gave me the best review I ever had, which was something like, do you want to, do you want to try to say what it was? I don't know what I said, but I definitely compared it to Khalil Gibran because I had a similar feeling of just sort of elated, balanced vibes of seeing the 
you know, recognizing that our joy springs from our sorrow and, and vice versa. They are necessary for each other to exist. And so we can, no matter what type of winter we're in or what kind of storm the world is in outside, we can know that the only reason it bothers us for things to be that way is because we've been blessed enough to experience something more harmonious and that we know that more harmonious places are possible to get to. So either way, like there is no, everything in the universe is for your enjoyment or enlightenment, oftentimes both at once and, uh, you know, maintain that unfuckwithable vibe (laughs) and we'll catch everybody an hour or two. Thanks, Lindsay, for coming on and I'm looking forward to continuing. Yes. See you on the other side. Hey there, you made it all the way to the end of the episode. Really glad that you tuned in for the entirety of this show. And I'm super grateful as well to Lindsay for coming back on and giving us a full-on presentation. You know, she's got a background in teaching, and I really, really appreciated the PowerPoint slides that she threw in here and the meticulous way she put this information in order to help us understand it from top to bottom. It's not the most fun thing to think about. And a lot of us, especially if we're like the good guys, (laughs) generally, it can be difficult to put our minds in the mindset of one of these more toxic, dissonant configurations of self that are out there in the world. It's really important to know, though. And, you know, G.I. Joe says knowing is half the battle. It helps because we got to recognize that we project our virtue onto other people all the time and expect the best of them. Because like Lindsay was explaining, most people are good and they kind of have a naive expectation that other people have good intentions. And I have to agree, like my own life experience has validated this many times. I'm kind of gullible sometimes with people, uh, you know, putting up a face of being spiritual or kind or generous or whatever, and then getting further into knowing them and realizing, actually, they just kind of want to take what they can take and not do anything else. And we need to still have love, even for the wildest of the wild, like, you know, whoever happens to be the president of United States Corporation, the figurehead for all of our rage against the machine, that type of thing. I'm not saying necessarily that we forgive evil in the sense of like, allow it. But on a fractal dynamic, you could look at it like these are the vultures that are coming in to help us recognize where we need to get rid of necrotic psychic tissues and grow into a new form, right? Because ultimately, our vulnerability to the psychopath is totally tied up in our relationship to ourself and our personal boundaries and whether or not we've elected to create a life for ourselves that's independent or dependent. And unfortunately, most of the systems we could be dependent on in society are psychopathic in origin and nature. They draw, attract, and create psychopaths. Anyway, if you guys are not aware somehow, there is a plus extension 
second hour to this conversation. We went over an hour, I think, on both halves because we were trying to get through it all. And I had too many comments. <laughs> but in hour two, Lindsay does give us more of a breakdown of the different types of these borderline and full on bad mamma jamma type of individuals out there. And it's far from the end of the conversation, but I was glad to be able to get it all laid out in a cohesive way like this. None of the things in plus are probably things that you couldn't go find out on your own with your own research, but I do think there's a benefit in hearing it from Lindsay and maybe even my own commentary because there's experience and then there's the information and knowledge. And we're trying to bring you our personal experience in addition to the knowledge so that you can plug that into your personal experience. So if you want to hear the second hour of Lindsay's presentation here, get on Rockfin, become a Rockfin member, or join my Patreon. Rockfin has the advantage of getting you Lindsay's content and my content, although I think most of what she does is free. She's, I think, uh, pretty much her payment for this type of work that she does is drawing people in to work with her on the energy healing level or tarot level or different types of spiritual guidance and counseling that she offers. And I know she tailors those experiences for people based on the person she's talking to. And I highly, highly endorse getting connected to some of the, some of us out here who are doing this type of thing, podcast thing and healing arts thing, because investing in that type of experience, like paying somebody to do the energy work with you, it actually makes it more significant for the receiver because there's an exchange, you know, you take it more seriously because you had to invest in it. Does that make sense? If you're on the fence about it, think about it. Maybe it is worth it. I actually just had a session with Joel Rafiti, our last guest. He did a Terrascope human design session with me, helped me explain to me the, you know, the user manual of my particular sky clock configuration. And that was really, really helpful. It's not easy. It was like, at the, especially by the end, it was like, okay, time to confront these things in your life in the places where you're not confronting them. And I'm going to work on that, but it is highly, highly worth it. So check out Joel. I think he's still offering the coupon code here for the truth 50 HTFT 50. Uh, is that right? Here for the truth HFT T. <laughs> 50. That's the coupon code. Knock $50 off of the session. Really a generous offer. What else is there to tell you guys about? Well, I was on Weaving Spiders Welcome again this week. I couldn't hang for five hours. There's a huge episode, but we had on or they had on Slick Dissident. He's a YouTuber that is new to me, but has got some really amazing content. One of the things we were discussing was the cat hole lick. Church, the Cathars, Cathars, Toxoplasmosis. It is a really weird rabbit hole. And I want to have Slick on for a conversation on Interverse. So that'll probably happen down the line. I was also on a show called Nifty Dimensions, which by the time this comes out, this episode, the Nifty Dimensions show with me might not be out yet, but go follow Nifty Dimensions. His name's Lenny on YouTube. We had a sweet conversation. 
His channel is kind of about crypto and NFTs and stuff like that, but he had me on to talk about the things I like to talk about and change it up, mix it up, and uh, it was really good. So watch out for that. I'll be posting it, of course, in the Telegram group and on my socials when it does come out. So keep an eye on all these things. If there's any other shows out there that I haven't been on that you like, maybe hit up their hosts and see if they'll talk to me. I enjoy being in the guest seat. I love these flow states. And I'm going to keep it brief today. Uh, too, too much to say if I was going to get into deeper discussions, and we'll just save it for the future. I actually i have got a lot of work to do today. It's Labor Day, but I have many labors to complete. <laughs> so I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to play us out with a song called Options by Zen Tempest. And of course, don't forget, if you're not following Lindsay over at Rogue Ways, check her out on Rockfin and YouTube. Or just subscribe on a podcast RSS feed of your choice. Tons of good stuff there. I've done several episodes with her. Most recently, a few weeks ago, we did an entire sound healing related conversation presentation. It's called Song of the Ether, I believe is the name of that episode. So go tune into all that if it's your thing. Definitely take the dive into the Weaving Spiders welcome verse. That is some of the weirdest and coolest synchromistic weaving I've ever been a part of or seen. But all right, I love you guys. It's been cool to hang out. Enjoy the outro music, and we will catch you in a couple days on Vibrant Episode 3 with a very special guest that a lot of you know, but I'm not going to reveal till that day. And I'll catch you on the flip. Much love. trying to be real i ain't trying to perform wait a second that's a lie i'm alive to perform i'm the cycle of the wheel in the eye of the storm under pressure is the way that every star will be born i am the vital component just like a spinal cord i am the life of the moment spoken in rhyming words i'm the primordial slime taking a violent turn rising up out of the ocean and climbing onto earth what a thirst that a cocktail can't quite quench on a verge of a hardcore breakdown what a bird can't rest in a hard earned nest and it might be time for a greyhound or a plane or a train out west to an old friend's house with a couch or a futon maybe out of the states to a place where the faces are brown and the food has a new sauce i don't know but i'm lost i'm exhausted not sure where the line was but i crossed it not sure where to find love but i'm optimistic cutting all of my losses options i believe we all have options some have less and some of them have lots but wherever in life you were dropped in or tossed in god gave Drift up to the sun, dips back down as the earth turns once. Nervous words slip off of the tongue and they hit eardrums of the war-torn slums. Service worth is a well-worn hat, torn up jeans and a sunburnt back. Urgent urge to deserve what I have and emerge is absurdly versed in my craft. Like yearn to adapt and observe as I laugh that I'm not that good, but I'm not that bad. As a young man, I learned it was crass to amass more wealth than I knew I had to handle that. While on the other hand, I was raised in a land full of bandit vandals. And I ain't talking about bandanas, man. No, I'm talking about government scandals, yo. I'm in love with a place called Faith, with a shade called Gray, and a state called Grace. I could offer a play-by-play, and a day-by-day, if it helps you relate. But I believe there is more to a being than the dragons they slay in the place that they came from. There's a certain immaculate space that the places you think can't touch. That's what's up. Thump, thump.
up in the middle of the night. There's a fiddle with a string and a window with a light on. There's a lone black widow in the crack in the middle of the lamp that's chilling in the nightstand. Don't ask what is living in the gaps. If you really want to see who I am, look inside me. And if not, back off, goddamn. I would literally snap you in half. Don't try me. Just kidding, I am really not the type to invite conflict in my life. No, I'm fight free. But I will throw down if I have to. Man, don't test me or fuck with my family. I believe we all have options. Some have. 